You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Today's episode is a conversation with Joe Pace, host of the Clutch Podcast and founder of Icewater Yoga, an online yoga platform for athletes. Joe and I had a really great conversation. We got into a lot of different topics, and I was really trying to pick his brain because he has a business background, and I wanted to find out what we could learn from his experience working in analytics for movies that we can apply to our businesses, our yoga businesses. We had such a great time that we did end up talking for about an hour, which is a little bit on the longer side. But I think that the things that we ended up getting into, the three-part framework that we ended up creating on the fly through the conversation is really worth listening to. So I'm going to keep this intro short and I'll see you on the other side. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, Joe. I'm excited to have you. Joe uh, is the host of the Clutch Podcast and a yoga teacher. So I'd love to start with how you got into yoga and how you transitioned from your prior life into this life. Yeah, great question. And thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on, on the show. Um, yeah, so just answer the first question. Getting started in yoga was actually kind of this random experience I had. I was a college baseball player. And after my sophomore year, I, I actually got injured playing baseball. So I hurt my elbow and I couldn't do all of the strength conditioning things that I used to do, like benching and all that fun stuff, like in the weight room. And I was just looking through like my back in the day, it's like early 2000s, like on demand workout options. So before I even got to yoga doing this on demand stuff, I was doing like crazy eight minute core and you know, whatever they had on Comcast on demand in New England. And eventually I fell on this, it ended up being like intermediate slash advanced yoga class. It said like flow yoga uh, level, like intermediate flow yoga, something like that. And I did it and I was blown away. Like I had never experienced anything like it in my life. It was way beyond what I should have been doing, having never done yoga before. But I feel like it was that I was more challenged than I ever had been. Uh, physically and sort of on my edge a little bit and uh, I did that same class probably like 30 times over the course of the summer like I didn't realize you could go to a yoga studio or you could like do all of these other things I was like this is yoga this one class is yoga uh, pretty much for that summer and uh, eventually it sort of blossomed from there I ended up sort of sticking on that same line with like yoga DVDs I don't know if you know the like Power Yoga DVD series Brian Kess did back in the 90s. Do you know that series yet? So I did that for a, for years, like three or four years. That was like my, <laughs> that was my extension. I went from one class on demand to a three class DVD set. That was like my, my yoga. Um, but, but. Th that on demand, that was from Comcast? 
Yeah, it was like, yeah, back in the day when On Demand was brand new and, you know, I, I had watched like movies on there and I kind of found this like fitness area and then I just discovered yoga through there. And so for me, yoga had always been like on a screen, right? And that's, that's sort of been my introduction and what made my practice what it is. And I, to this day, love and continue practicing yoga and it started with, with on a screen. And so um, that sort of set the foundation for what I'm doing with ice water yoga. But, um, but then like yoga was never my job until I made it my job. And so um, kind of segueing to your other question, um, which I believe was sort of like, how did you kind of transition into being a full-time yoga teacher basically and starting a yoga business? Was that kind of the question or? Also help us understand what you did before and what was the catalyst for that change? Totally, totally. So yeah, so um, yeah, I, I had a business background before becoming a yoga teacher and starting, starting the online yoga business. Um, and I started at LL Bean. Do you know LL Bean? Oh yeah, of course. Company? Yeah. So I started there as in their marketing department and I was basically the lowest level analyst you could imagine on the credit card team. But that actually ended up being kind of a big role. Weirdly, as a 22 year old kid, the LL Bean credit card was actually the biggest profit center for the company. And so I was the only one in the company who knew how to use SQL. Uh, I don't know if you know, it's like database management yep. software. So SQL, very straightforward language. And I, I wasn't like manipulating databases, but I was pulling data from it. And people would like come up to me like I was this wizard. And I was like, select star from this table. And it's like, we're good. Um, and just manipulating stuff in Excel. And I ended up having like some really great experiences with um, the CMO, like asking me questions about like data related to the card. And I was like, just kind of thrown into this role. And uh, that, was, that was really great. And from there, I did my MBA. Uh, I went to UMass Amherst. And at the time, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to be an athletic director, college athletic director. And so I was doing a dual master's program, an MBA, and a master's in sports management. And after realizing that being an AD wasn't for me, after meeting a bunch of them, it just kind of didn't feel right for me. I stuck with just the MBA. And after graduating, I um, kind of didn't explain this connection, but uh, I had an internship before LLB and that was related to analytics. And that's where I learned database management. And the guy who gave me that job was starting a, a team for sort of like uh, the way we characterize it is like Moneyball for movies. So like the Moneyball in, in baseball was like using analytics to spend less money on your players, but to get more wins. And so identifying data, identifying variables, identifying key these KPIs, like key performance indicators that help you win as opposed to just spending money to kind of frivolously. So we were going to apply that same idea to Hollywood and the movie industry, which is sort of like a mess in terms of how much money gets spent with marketing, production. It's a, it's a complete mess. And so... Uh, I was lucky enough to be on this kind of like first of its kind team where uh, we had this founder or this, the owner of the company is legendary entertainment. His name is Thomas Tull and he's this like big personality, like super charged entrepreneur type guy who started this movie production company from nothing like the, the dark Knight movies uh, hangover, like all those movies. He like, he started with private equity and turned it into a production company and was like really, really uh, 
open-minded and had, a, had this idea to bring analytics to the movie industry. And so very quickly, I was thrust into this team that was intended to be like the, this world-class team. And they, they funded it to be that, basically. So I was surrounded by like people who were way more qualified than me, like Harvard phys- astrophysicists, uh, like all these developers and experienced people who had built all this crazy software. And I'm there like, okay, I worked at LLB before, like we sold, we sold some clothes and some credit cards, but I've like, I don't know what a wormhole is. <laughs> like these people are like ex- exceptional brains. And uh, I was just surrounded by them trying to figure out like what we were going to do as a team and how we were going to help Hollywood. And so we ended up using all sorts of approaches to data and analytics. And I learned a ton through that process. And we ended up focusing mostly on marketing because that was where a lot of the money was spent. That's where a lot of the waste was. And I, in a way, sort of fell into this project management role where we would start executing digital marketing campaigns. uh, And I was sort of the liaison between like the analytics and the decision-making with digital marketing. And it was awesome. We did some amazing things. And for me, it was not necessarily the position, like I loved my job, but I, it, I, I kind of just fell into it. I didn't really choose it. Um, yoga was something that I'd always been exceptionally drawn to, like I'd always been drawn to it, always been, it just stuck with me. It wasn't something that I was like, uh, what's my passion? Uh, yoga. It was sort of like, I was just always doing yoga. It was just always something I was doing. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna, uh, if I wanna start a business and it's something I'd always wanted to do, then it's going to be in something I'm really passionate about. I guess I'm the most passionate about yoga. And uh, I decided to quit my job and start Ice Water Yoga. So had you been already teaching yoga at that point? Uh, No. (laughs) So I did my teacher training. I I had this sort of period at Legendary where I was like, I need some time. And I took a a two-week vacation and did a 16-day intensive yoga teacher training. This was before I quit. Um, so I had my teacher training under my belt and it was at a great, amazing program, uh, white Lotus for anybody who doesn't know, um, the white Lotus foundation there in Santa Barbara, amazing teachers. Uh, I don't think they're doing as many teacher trainings anymore, but there, if you can get there at some point, it's amazing, beautiful in the hills of Santa Barbara. And just, it was an amazing retreat for me and really solidified my decision to, to move on from legendary. So I had had my teacher training credentials and I had started teaching at a local studio. Um, but I just, I, I felt really confident that I could surround myself with people who were, who had been or have, who are really great teachers uh, and just learn from them, which is exactly what happened. Tell us just a little bit about ice water yoga, what you do and how you translated or brought some of your skills from your old work over to that. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so Ice Water is an online yoga platform designed specifically for athletes. And for me, I think the thing that was missing in my seeing yoga on a screen and doing it was oftentimes I didn't feel quite connected with the personality on the other side. Sometimes they were very <clears throat> uh, fitnessy and very like, let's do a bunch of reps. And other times it was like very like overly spiritual for me. And I never really quite felt connected with the teachers, but I felt like the practice was just so great. And as a baseball player in college, I would try to get people to do these yoga classes with me on on the screen. 
and nobody would do it with me because it just kind of had this vibe that wasn't familiar to them. And so ice water was sort of my solution to this problem where athletes aren't looking for this jazzercise fitness experience, nor are they looking for this or maybe don't feel as comfortable at first with this more spiritual approach to yoga. Let's meet it in the middle. Let's be very down to earth, very practical, give you yoga that's going to help you stay athletic and stay dynamic and also enjoy the process and connect with the teachers on the other side. So yeah, that's ice water yoga. We have, we have, we have 600 classes online and they're about a half an hour each. So even the amount of time we try to make really practical. Um, and to, to kind of segue into the other question, uh, I think just in general, the, the analytics piece is, is something that kind of opened my eyes a little bit because when we were doing stuff at Legendary, it was multi-million dollar budgets. Like it was, you know, literally we did the Wonder Woman campaign with WB and it was millions of dollars. Like managing that budget is totally different than managing a couple thousand bucks in, in like trying to trying to get people the, the website and so I, I learned really quickly that analytics in a way um, it doesn't go out the window but it, it's changes the scale of it changes and so when we're looking for statistical significance at, at legendary we need millions of impressions and knowing like trying to take that same approach with ice water yoga just isn't a reality like I'm not gonna have statistical significance I need to be able to trust my gut a little bit more and see and feel the numbers a little bit more as opposed to knowing definitively that this is right. And so it went from less or it went from more of a, um, a very objective approach to analytics and marketing to very subjective and, and, and starting to reduce the scale of, of my perspective on analytics. That's really interesting. One of the pieces of advice that, emerging entrepreneurs get a lot is to get one-on-one -on -one feedback while they have the bandwidth for it to really talk to people on a really intimate level instead of eventually you have to go to the bigger, more objective numbers-based perspective because you don't have the time to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. Did you do that? Did you have a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations or do you do that? Um, I do that now. I didn't do it at the beginning. And I wish I did. <laughs> I wish I had that advice at the beginning. Uh, yeah, at first I, I really took ice water on as like this he-man, lone wolf, like I'm going to do this thing myself approach. And looking back on it, I think that was really foolish. I, I, I kind of wish I had taken on a little more advice. I, th I think ice water still would have been very similar to what it is today um, and just as great. But I think the path to getting there would have been a lot easier. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, um, I think, I think in general, valuing the opinion of others, especially those that have been there, even though they may not be doing the same exact thing as you, you, at least from, from my perspective, I thought that I already knew it all. I'd been in this team. I like, I can do these marketing campaigns. I know Facebook, I know Google, I know Instagram, I know Twitter, I know all these platforms. Let's just use them. And very quickly you realize that when you, create your own little bubble. There's no opportunity for surprise. There's no opportunity for the unexpected. And the more I've started to open myself up to others, others' opinions, not only have I gotten like really great ideas, but things have happened that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't opened myself up to them. So I think it's, it's now more interesting to run ice water yoga because now there's this variable 
like uh, future. Like it, it, it can be something that I didn't necessarily predict it to be because I've opened it up to others. How, how long have you been running ice water yoga? How long has this, been, <laughs> this experiment been going on, this evolution? Yeah, good, experiment's a great word. Um, so I, I filmed the first class for ice water in July of 2017 and that didn't make the cut for the site. And I, I realized from that, that there was a lot, there was a different approach that needed to happen. Um, and so we officially started filming like full on classes for ice water in November of 2017. And we launched in March of 2018. So between that, July 2017 to March 2018, I was um, producing the content with our team of teachers, building the website, the back end and the front end, and starting to put together our marketing plan. And so we've been live for a little over a year, and it's, it's been crazy, but it's, um, it's super fun. Like It's constantly changing. So I'm curious, you know, when you and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we really came at each of us have a podcast from these very different paths, these, these yeah. very different angles. And so what I really want to hear from you and learn from you is, you know, how can the yoga teachers who are more on the same path that I've been on, which is you get into yoga first, you love yoga, you start to teach yoga, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh man, I have a business and I need to learn how to run a business. What, what can we learn from somebody like you who has the business background? Awesome. Great question. I think in general, when thinking about business, I think it's less about a lot of what you hear businesses. Like I think a lot of, a lot of just the concept of business feels like this, like kind of external, like I'm building, I'm building this brand or I'm building this product and that product is something other than me or it's other than the people using it i think the approach to business that i've sort of started to not, not grapple with but start to appreciate and start to incorporate a lot more is that the bit your business is you and the people you're sharing it with so if you start thinking about it less of like marketing or producing to people it's sort of marketing and producing with people uh, I think that's a huge, it, it kind of gets back to what we were just talking about, like where, as opposed to being a lone wolf and like making these things happen and filling your schedule with yoga classes and getting privates and starting your own website and all of those things that you can do, think less about like what you can do at people and think more about stuff you can do with people. Uh, and I think that going from there, the things just start to happen a lot more naturally and it's a lot more fun, you know, like I feel like a lot of us get into yoga to be part of a community and contribute to a community. And I think it's very easy to lose sight of that when you start to try to get yoga famous and you start to try to be a successful yoga entrepreneur. Um, but the best ones, the people who are doing it well, if you look at them, and, and really look at what they're doing. They're really building communities with people and they're focusing on the community first and then just wrapping a business on top of it. So um, I think if you're, you're able to, to effectively engage with people and connect with people and, and do that in a way that's authentic and, and think about what you can offer them that they really want, they're probably going to ask you anyway for it. The business comes naturally. Um, but then on top of that, it's, there's some business principles that are going to be smart. <laughs> like, you should be smart about it, but I think connecting with people is probably the, the, going to be the best way to go. I would 
love to hear you expand a little bit on the business principles that you think are important. Yeah, I, I think I think as a you know generally yoga teachers aren't people who like to sit in front of a computer and crunch numbers and you know uh, get into Excel and do those things. Uh, but again, this kind of gets back to the idea of marketing and producing stuff with people. It's it's kind of a disservice to to your audience and the people you're serving if you're not being smart about it because sustainability is is a huge part of business. You can't you can't run a business that's insolvent. Like that's by definition, you can't do that. So to be solvent, you need to know your numbers and appreciate them. But at the same time not get so deep into it because then it becomes a distraction. And so just like any yoga teacher, any good yoga teacher will tell you, like it's all about balance. So it's not about like being stuck to your computer all day and, you know, looking at every single click you get or every single source of web traffic, but understanding like if I have a website, for example, I should know what my traffic is. I should know generally what the trend is over time. I should also know like what the sources of traffic are and also what are performing well. Like what are the things that I'm actually trying, I'm hoping people do on my website. Like what, what am I trying to, what's the end goal? And for a lot of people that may be subscribing to a newsletter that might be purchasing a product and knowing just like a few very basic things is going to go a long way. So uh, in particular, so like the things that I think about are, lifetime value of a consumer. So having an average value of how much revenue an individual consumer, an individual customer is going to bring to your business. Um, for me, Ice Water, that's basically the monthly price of a subscription times how many months on average a person stays with Ice Water. And so that's, that's the lifetime value. And then also the, the conversion rate on the website. So what's the conversion rate of actually getting to the website and doing that action that subscribe to ice water yoga action. So like, for example, if that were a hundred percent, that'd be amazing, but that's not the reality. And so understanding that it's not going to be a hundred percent. Um, but what are the, what are the ways in which people are going to the website and that rate is higher, you know, like, is it from Instagram when people come from Instagram, it's, 25% subscribe to Ice Water Yoga, but when they come from an organic search, it's 2%, right? Maybe that tells me where I should focus my efforts more. Are those real statistics or did you make those up? Made those up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, but the principles are the same. Like for everybody, it's, it's the equations actually, and this is an equation I learned post-legendary, you, you're going to spend some money to get customers, right? You're going to have to spend some money to get customers, whether that's in your own time. Like you might need to drive somewhere to go to a conference and talk to a big crowd. Like that's going to cost you money. If you're doing digital marketing ads to push people to your website, that's going to cost you money. And really the, the equation and the thing to keep in mind, and this may seem cold, it may seem calculated, but it's how to be solvent. The cost of acquiring a customer needs to be lower than their lifetime value. Like that's really, if you're going to run a successful business, that needs to be priority, really priority number one. And, and it takes time. Like you, you need time to establish data. Like you, you need months more on the order of like four to six months to really know where these, where the traffic sources are and what the data is and then taking chances to adjust and modify. Um, and so, yeah, for, for most online businesses, it's digital marketing cost is your, is your cost number, your cost figure. 
and your value is is how much how much you're you're earning per customer probably most of the listeners of the pod of this podcast aren't don't have a digital project just product sure. to sell sure yeah so can we think about some examples and some ways of framing this that are going to make more sense to a yoga teacher who is teaching classes retreats and workshops totally yeah so that's so that the more traditional yeah the more traditional model like how are we behind the same principles so again it's it's maybe a little bit more conceptual here because the costs aren't necessarily dollar costs but the costs are more like time and energy costs and so how much time and energy are you putting into pub teaching public classes versus what's your return on that right and there is a cost to your time right so if it costs you however however much uh, money to get to the studio, however much time to spend at the studio, right? You're starting to do these calculations of, is it, is it worth my time for my, for the return I'm making? And also like we start to, as yoga teachers, think about other things, other KPIs. Like it's not necessarily just revenue, it's impact. It's um, making a positive impact on somebody's life. Like that's, that's part of it. So for me, when I teach public yoga classes, like, I'm not so worried about how much I'm earning. I'm thinking more about, like, how am I helping these people? Like, how am I able to make really strong connections? Um, and ice water kind of helps me do that. Um, but to, to sort of frame this for, like, from the retreat, like, I would, I would say your, your ability to acquire customers is your, your input into that equation is less money. Like, you're not paying $1,000 for 50,000 impressions on Facebook you're paying uh, 40 hours this week in energy teaching yoga classes to build connections with people to then maybe get private, private clients to get retreats. Um, and so that's another, another way of framing that is like, if I, if I realize over this last year of teaching that most of my private clients are coming from this studio, similar to most of my subscriptions are coming from, for example, Instagram, for ice water, then you adjust your strategy. Maybe you should be teaching more public classes if that's getting you more retreats, if retreats are the thing you really want to sell. Um, maybe it's workshops, maybe it's other things. Um, but, but yeah, so that, that is, uh, it, it all directly correlates, but it, it's, there's less hard data when you're in a studio. You kind of need to pay attention to, oh, this person, it, this person came from my public class or this person came from this workshop, et cetera. So it's the same principles. It's just a different, a different, uh, well, you're not staring at a screen to figure it out. <laughs> it sounds like the main message though, is that you do need to be paying attention and it would probably be beneficial to have a spreadsheet where you figure out where all your leads are coming from and what your major revenue generators are so that you can be smart about what opportunities to let go of and which ones to, to focus on multiplying because you know, earlier, I think there was, we talked a little bit about intuition and kind of just going with the gut and many yoga teachers that I talk to is that's all they, that's in hundred percent how they operate and they don't have any of the more left brained analytical, like looking at, you know what, this yoga studio, even though I do really like the owner and I really like the three people that come, I have to <laughs> drive 45 minutes to get there. Right. It's not making sense for me to keep doing that. Correct. Well, unless you love those three people so much, right? Like, so it, it comes down to your goal, 
right? Like if your goal is retreats, then that probably doesn't make sense to make that 45 minute drive, right? If your goal is to fill retreats, you're, you're trying to reach a much, much, many more people. But if your goal is um, breaking even on teaching yoga, then maybe that does work. And so I think and this is something we ran into at Legendary a lot is you can have all the analytics in the world and all the data in the world, but if you don't have a clear objective or a clear goal, then it's kind of irrelevant. Like you don't have a dependent variable in that equation. So just classic, like looking at a multivariate calculus equation, you have one dependent variable, right? Which is the thing you're, you're, you're hoping to see the outcome of and you have everything else is an independent variable. Everything else is stuff that you're testing with, tinkering with to see what the effect is on the dependent variable. And like, like I'm just, I'm saying, if all of the stuff on this independent variable side is you're playing with it, you're trying to optimize it, but you don't know what you're trying to optimize it for, then what's the point? So I think before doing any sort of Excel spreadsheet or anything, know what your goal is. I think that's the it's easy for me. Like my goal is to maximize subscription revenue. Like that's period what I'm trying to do. It's very, it's very straightforward. Um, in addition to other things, but the business objective is that. Um, so I th yeah, I think it starts there and then you can start optimizing towards, towards how to get there. But I did hear you say that you have a goal about having an impact on people too, and right. about providing a format for yoga for people who don't, connect to other formats mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how you you know how you balance that because if truly your only goal was to maximize that revenue there are probably some actions that you could take that might be a bit less than ethical right <laughs> right so so clearly there are other forces in at play for you other than just that revenue yeah, that's a good point. I think that's, um, it's true. It's like this, this dependent variable of maximizing revenue is, is the objective measure, but then there's these like ethical or even, um, moral things that are just like, I'm not going to sacrifice for this maximizing revenue. And those are, those would be, those are sort of variables in and of themselves. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not going to put somebody on my on ice water that's wearing nothing and just exposing their whole body right like that's just not what we are as a brand and maybe that sells more i don't know like i've been told that's that's the type of thing that sells um but there's there's like a filter to it and i think maintaining maintaining your uh just like core principles of what you believe in is at least for me really important because i didn't get into yoga. I didn't get into starting my own business to compromise my belief systems. I got into it to help people and to do it in a way that I believe in. And so I will say though, that my, my perspective on other businesses has changed um, because it is hard to run a business and it's hard to be profitable and it's hard to be successful. And so having done it myself, I, I, I don't appreciate as much the um, like what happens in, in the business world and the compromises that do get made, but I understand it a lot more and I can empathize with it a lot more. Even though I haven't made those compromises myself, it's like, like I see people online, you know, not wearing as much, much clothes. And it's like, what, what things are you willing to sacrifice to, for the other side of it? Because 
maybe, maybe the not wearing as much clothes on Instagram and getting people to go to your website is helping you support your child, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's helping you achieve a bigger goal that you have. And so, um, for me, I'm fortunate enough to not be in a position to have to compromise my business. Um, but I look out there at the world of every offering out there and I, I feel a lot more empathetic towards it. And I, um, I really understand it. And I also don't, um, I don't shame it as much anymore. I don't like, I kind of get it. I, I so it's, it's not an easy world out there because this is brutal and you got it. You're, you have to do the best you can with what you have and <laughs> getting a little bit more philosophical, but no, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that the listeners, people listening to this podcast are going to really be able to empathize with that as well, because just like you, 99.9% of yoga teachers, we get into this to help people. And then if you try to make it your job, that's when you're going to run up against some ethical quandaries. Mm -hmm. I was, I've had a few conversations recently with Leslie Kamenoff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he talks about and is really uh, emphatic about is that you have to have guiding principles. You have to be really clear about what your guiding principles are. Otherwise, you will stray from them without even realizing it. So what's, I'm, I'm taking notes as we talk, and we've kind of come up with a three-part process here. Mm, okay. Well, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Part one is know your guiding principles. Write down your guiding principles. Post them somewhere. You know, have them at the front of your attention. Step two is set your goals so that you know when you're setting your goals, well, they can't directly violate your guiding principles. And then as you start to create the steps towards your goals, those also need to line up with your guiding principles. And then yeah. three, step three is start to measure your variables. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now I, now I have a structure to go off of. <laughs> no, but it's, it, I think that's actually pretty spot on. But I think there's a reevaluation process that goes on too. So that's gonna. So that. So that's a step four. I think it re it, it sort of re begins again at step one. Mm. Like mm -hmm. like it's sort of it's cyclical, right? Like you're. I think the goals will change as you go. Yeah. Um, like for me, like ice water is amazing, and I I love it to death. And it's my baby, and I thought it was going to be like my my goal, my step one goal was to make it my job, like my, my, my primary revenue source. It's a thing I do period. And this isn't to say that it's, it's not doing that, but I found it to be a lot more effective at creating opportunity for me. Um, and so even more than having it be my job, it's created more opportunities for me that I didn't see at the beginning that I've sort of reevaluated the goals for ice water as to be, well, now revenue is of course a, a thing that I want to happen through ice water, but it's also a means to connect with people like yourself and connect with other entrepreneurs, connect with investors, connect with people who maybe there, maybe there's other opportunities that ice water allows me to do. And so something I'm learning is like most investors, in businesses invest in founders second companies because the first one is where all the mistakes happen and it's where you sort of learn all the things <clears throat> that increase the likelihood of success of, of project number two and 
I think that's having lived through that. I, I sort of get it. I, I, I get why that's the case. Um, and it kind of rings true to me a little bit more now. So what is project number two for Joe Pace? Have we talked about this? No. No. Okay. Yeah. So project number two is, is in, is kind of like in stealth mode right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's just do it. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll put it out to the world. Uh, basically through ice water, one thing I learned having looked at the competitive landscape, having looked at digital fitness in general is everybody is sort of following the same model. Everybody has creates their own platform they produce content and they publish that content on the platform. And the result of that is the people who are able to figure out and find a niche that people want in a style that people want tend to win big, right? Like you have like the Pelotons, you have like the Beachbody with the P90X, you have, you have programs like that who just really blow it up. And unfortunately, having been close to this business for as long as I have and having sort of like in a way grown up with it, like kind of found yoga through digital fitness in a way. Um, I've found that basically the losers in the equation are the trainers, like the people who produce the content. Generally the there, when you're a trainer, you're a physical, physical therapist or you're a yoga teacher or you're a personal trainer, strength coach, like all of those things. If you kind of look at those types of people in a bucket, generally they're very giving kind people and they're people who don't think of themselves first often. And I think that's why professions like what they're doing are really appealing because you get to have this direct, meaningful, close effect on people and you tend to sacrifice yourself. You tend to sacrifice your revenue opportunities, your, your stuff. And, and when opportunities to go on a platform like Peloton come up, or to be on Yoga Glow, or to be on any of these platforms, you're, you have very few options other than to say yes. And you offer exclusivity, you offer a certain rate, you offer things that are sacrificial without even knowing it. Okay, so that's, that's a problem in the industry. Like, it, is, it is a problem. And so looking at that problem saying, okay, how, how as Joe Pace, like myself, like how am I, now that I know that this is a problem, I've sort of lived the problem. Like how can I solve this problem for people? And my solution to it is kind of looking at this traditional model of digital fitness and flipping it on its head in a way. So saying, hey, let's, let's build a platform that gives trainers full control over the content they produce and also the revenue they earn. So fully user-generated content. You can almost imagine it like YouTube in a way where you can publish content, but people can't watch that content unless they're paying customers. Okay. So it's not like you can go on here and watch stuff for free like YouTube. And so we're immediately on the, at the front of at the front gate saying, you can watch this stuff. You can watch as much as you want, but you have to pay us. And you're not paying us. I mean, you are paying us, but in through paying us, you're paying our teachers, you're paying our trainers. And through, the, through this project, we're planning to pay trainers the highest rate they could possibly earn through digital fitness. So in a way, what we're creating is this, we're creating a platform that solves a very specific problem very well for trainers. And our theory and our hypothesis is if we can pay trainers better than they would get paid anywhere else and incentivize them to be really pumped about this platform and put their stuff on this platform, then they'll produce content that our users love. 
and they'll continue doing that. And so for, for me, looking at ice water, like for me to keep the content fresh, I have to produce it, right? And I have to put it out there and, and work to do that. And I have to make a lot of assumptions to, to get it right. Whereas trainers and yoga teachers are like so like on the edge of like knowing exactly what's current, what's right, what's real. Um, and so as opposed to like filtering it through me and having me be like the buffer for it and, the fil- and filter, just produce it yourself, put it out there and make money from it. Um, so that's what I'm building. It's called physio and another huge, um, benefit and a huge, uh, not benefit, but a huge change and improvement is having a co-founder huge, hugely valuable. That's a lot of things, but, um, that's really exciting. Can I ask you some follow-up questions? Please do. Please do. Is your plan to be that people just pay for access to one teacher or trainer at a time? or that they get access to everybody on the platform? So we're gonna figure that out. I don't know. I think my answer is I don't know. Um, we're, we're, we've considered allowing sort of like individual subscriptions to trainers, so say like to access their special content, you have to subscribe specifically to them. That's, that's a thing. Um, there's also a model in which we just charge one monthly fee and we pay trainers based on the amount of views and how much, how much engagement their content gets. Um, I think that's probably going to be the way we start, but we'll test with, with trainers to see if that subscription thing helps them more. So that, that's really like our goal. If we can help trainers and, and make them happy within, within reason, like we, we're not going to be able to pay them more than we're earning, right? Like that's, that's not going to work. Um, but at the same time, we can give them a revenue share that is like a fair and B because it's fair, way better than anywhere else that they could possibly go. So you have a guiding principle as you're creating this business of paying teachers fairly or trainers. Correct. Correct. And I, I believe that if, if, if you like, again, through this process, like learning about building stuff with people, right? This gets back to what I was mentioning earlier, right? Like we're not building this product and then just shoving it down people's throats where we're, we're building a community in a, in a place where people feel welcome. They feel accepted. They feel valued. Right. And now we're building it with you. We want to hear your feedback. Does the subscription thing make sense? Do you want to test that out? Like we want to, we want to know and, and hear, like I took very little feedback with ice water. Like I was building it straight, straightforward. This is very much the opposite where we're building something and then we're intending for that thing to constantly be changing based on what helps people. This conversation, this angle of the conversation is making me reflect on the article that came out in the New York Times yesterday about core power yoga. Did you read it? I did not. It is basically about the core power business model being a bit exploitative of their teachers and having these pay structures that incentivize low paid yoga teachers to sell their teacher trainings. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's been a good bit of conversation and buzz on the internet about that business model on both ends, you know, people defending core power, people feeling that they exemplify kind of the, what is wrong with modern yoga. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I would be curious about what the core values are of core power and you know, how 
how that kind of plays out because that seems to be kind of parallel, the in-person parallel to these online fitness platforms that are making some good money. I, I don't know for sure, but it's, they're doing well. They're doing well. (laughs) Yeah. Certain ones. And individual teachers, you know, still, still struggling. Yeah. I think that I don't know too much about core power. I've actually never taken a class at core power. I've tried a few times in it. And I've been like, I don't know if I really want to pay $29 right now for a class. That's what they charge? It, I, I've seen rate, I've seen 25 to 29 drop in. Because I think that's about what they pay their teachers per class. So there you go. One drop in is, is there you go. Oh my God. So, so well, yeah. listeners who know more than me, you, you guys can reach out and give me the inside scoop on all this because yeah. I'm very much on the outside. But what from what I was reading in the New York Times article and then um, you know, in, on the social medias, that seemed to be pretty close to what they were paying teachers. Yeah, that make that would make sense. And so my my again coming back to what I was saying earlier is like I have a hard time bashing Core Power for doing that. I, I because right the until instructors say no, if, if you're Core Power Yoga and your your step two was, or your step one had nothing to do with paying trainers well, then, you know, it, it, it's like, well, it, we can keep hiring teachers for 25 bucks a class and we can still pump our teacher trainings and we can still do that. Like, uh, I'm not going to vilify core power for doing that. I, it's, it's maybe, maybe not the most moral thing for them to be doing, but then at the same time, if people are coming to the classes, right, there's that part of the equation. So how much blame goes on the customer? And then how much blame goes on the teacher for teaching there? And, uh, and I don't, again, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault, but I'm saying it's not, core power isn't the only part of the equation. Right. Well, they actually, a lot of the article was about, there's something like, I don't remember the exact number, but several lawsuits underway currently from oh, teachers. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, so maybe they're taking it to an extreme. And there are teachers trying to organize a union, I think, also. Okay. Okay. That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. Like a yoga teachers union. It would be interesting for sure. I think um, it would change things. It would change things. I think that there would have to be some really good, solid guiding principles for the union. (laughs) There would need to be some guiding principles and some goals. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I think, you know, just coming back to, I think now it's like maybe an even higher level here is like human nature. And I think as we gain power as humans, I think it's very enticing to be, to exploit, right? To, because you can, you can exploit others. And, you know, to be a little bit, this is like a little bit more personal to me, but it was something that I absolutely could not stand in, in my entire professional life. Like I couldn't stand the, the people in power, the people with higher titles, the people who get paid more, not, not necessarily taking advantage of, of people. Like that wasn't it, but it was the way, it was the way that you were treated. It was the way that you weren't allowed into this meeting or you weren't involved in this conversation or you were looked at a certain way. And it felt, there is this like, I'm older than you or I'm, I've been here longer than you. So you're less than me. And it was like, it's like the same idea as like hazing and this exploitation just to do it because you can. And it's, it's never wrong true to me. I was the guy on the baseball team carrying the baseballs as a senior captain. Like I wasn't, 
I wasn't the guy making the freshmen carry the med kit and stuff like that wasn't me. And so it's, it's, it's the thing that I, the thing that I, I can't tolerate and the thing that I like, I think more business people should be more sensitive to and aware of is when you do have power, this is like a, this is like a Spider-Man quote now, like you have way more responsibility and you have way more, um, you have to be way more empathetic and understanding of the people that are working for you and making your role as meaningful as it is. So, um, yeah, again, I don't want to get too personal here, but I, I, I get really fired up when it comes to treating people fairly. And, and I, I think just because somebody has power, it is, it is, you have way fewer reasons to take advantage of people and it it happens, unfortunately. I really appreciate what you said about human nature. Sometimes I describe yoga as trying to rewrite or overwrite the dark side of human nature. Mm. And, and, you know, I tell my students that what we're trying to do when we practice yoga, the way we're trying to focus our mind, the, the way we're trying to live in the world is not natural. It's not what comes naturally to most humans. It is something that we have to choose. We have to decide that this is who we want to be and then take steps in that direction and surround ourselves with people that are going to support that and do the practices that are going to support us in being the way that we choose to be instead of just what's the default. Totally. Totally. And I mean, what does namaste mean? Like we say at the end of every class, but like, what does it mean? It means I see the divine in you, right? Like that's, that's essentially what you're saying when you say namaste. And uh, I actually spoke with uh, Paul really, I don't know if you know Paul, uh, he's in yoga. I don't know him personally, but I no, but know of him. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I was speaking with him a couple weeks ago and I asked him what he believes, like, what is what are your, what's your core belief of reality of human, of human nature? And he said that, uh, humans are either sleeping or dormant. I forget what word he used. We'll say dormant, dormant gods. And each of us are sort of have this same innate, um, uh, this, this life force inside of us, this thing inside of us that is 100% equal across everybody. Um, even though we all come from different backgrounds and are unique and designed to be unique, the, at our core, like the core thing that, that permeates us and permeates our being is the same. And, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a lot to that. I, I, I don't want to necessarily say that like there's a Purusha and there's like a, like all of this stuff, but uh, I think there's something there, and I think, I think it's um, the the masks we wear and the the backgrounds we have and the status roles we have are all just sort of. I I think the property like it's like it's this distraction, uh, and again, if you can look past those things and see what's animating us, what's animating this person in front of me it becomes a lot harder to treat that person poorly. Um, so, cause they are you like, that's like, I, I, I don't, I won't say I'm like, just to be totally honest, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent there. Like, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent there with that, that level of yoga philosophy, but I'm almost there. Like I'm almost fully in on the fact that we, we are all entirely the same. Um, I can't, I can't prove it. Right. I can't prove it. I've never, I'm not enlightened. I'm not, I, I can't say for hundred percent certain, but I'm like 
the closest little bit you can be to believing that wholeheartedly. What my experience is and what the sense that I get from the yoga philosophy and the history of yoga that I've studied is that the best proof that we have about this is the experience that we get through practice. That by going inward and by focusing and by letting go of property or the the material world that the to some degree the more we let go of that the more we experience a sense of peace and wholeness and that to some degree it doesn't even matter what like how much of the esoteric terms and description of how the universe is that doesn't matter so much what matters is that when we go in we can then look out and be connected and see the same thing like you you go inward you see what you are and you see what everybody else is and by seeing who you are you can you can do that um into sort of i guess maybe kind of bring it back full circle this is what i mean by like business with people that's like that's what this all is that's what it all gets back to is like if, if I'm considering myself and my brand and my business the other, and I'm trying to make you give me money, that is, that is I, I think, a losing game and a, and a game that's not fun to do. It's not exciting to do. It's not, it's, not, it's not a positive thing to bring into the world. But if you look at, like, let's do, let's do this project, let's do this endeavor, together let's let's invite let's keep it open source let's let's let everybody be as much a part of it as they want to be um and get people excited about doing that that's like that's amazing that's that's the business you don't sell that's the business you keep forever and that's that's what i'm interested in i'm interested in building stuff with people and having me be just lucky to be a part of that that process that that's and I think we're all capable of doing that, not necessarily in business, but in kind of everything. Like if you, business is just a term to categorize something that has a profit and loss sheet. Like everything is, can be considered a business, right? Everything can be considered a brand. It's, it's really about your perspective on what that really means and how you're, what you're approaching it as. Well, I love that. And I think it's really helpful for yoga teachers to hear because I know that many of them feel resistant and uncomfortable with the idea of having a business. So if we can reframe the business around, you know what, you get to have a business that is guided by your principles and that helps you experience your yoga and does not have to take you away. And in fact, it is a red flag if your business is causing you to behave in a way or, or feel in a way ultimately, you know, sometimes we get uncomfortable in business and that's fine. But if mm -hmm. you at your core, at your essence are feeling like this is not right, this is not yoga, then you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Well, maybe, and maybe it's just calling it your not, don't call it business, call it your practice, call it your project. Call it something that doesn't have this loaded, you know, this loaded thing that kind of entices you to change, right? Like to make compromises. Like, I feel like when we hear the word business, we think of like <clears throat> conglomerate, like this like business, like, oh man, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's for me. Well, you have a business, whether you like it or not, 
it's not that, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, maybe it's a project. Maybe it's, and that doesn't mean it's small, but it's maybe not called a business if that's something that you're not comfortable with. And that, honestly, just changing the labeling of it might just change your whole approach to it. Yeah. Although I do think that for some people, if they don't call it a business, then, then they don't get to this part about measuring the variables. And that, I feel like there's a lot of potential for growth as a person, as a yogi, by being willing to look at the numbers and look at the variables and do that measuring and do that testing. Totally agree. So I totally mean, agree. You don't want to call it a business. Don't call it a business, but find a but way. Do these things. Do the three-step process. We're going we're to we're turn that into a business. I know. Who knows where this is going to lead, Joe? <laughs> the three-step process. We got it. That's it. Just three steps. Yeah. Think about it. That's so marketable. It's totally marketable. <laughs> Well, this was really fun. Do you have any last things that you feel like you really want to share before we end the conversation? Yeah, I, I would just, I would just say, but like as a closing thought, um, you know, I, I guess like, I guess I've learned through starting a business that uh, I've learned a lot more about who I am. And I think being able to it what no matter how small it is no matter how much you're able to contribute to a project that's totally unfamiliar that is something you're extremely passionate about and something that you want to put into the world if it fails entirely in terms of like the revenue right in terms of like being able to make it a sustainable business i think you'll be surprised at how much it changes your life for the better regardless of what happens with the money like of course you don't want to go into exception like crazy debt you don't want to go into you know the a bad bad place you don't want to do that but if you can do it smart and you can try something out and push yourself out of your comfort zone uh it's i mean again it comes back to yoga it's, it's exactly what we're doing in yoga we're finding an edge that we're just starting to feel uncomfortable and we're sitting with it we're breathing we're experiencing something that is making us better as a human being and as a person. And so I would just suggest to anybody listening, no matter what it is, if it, that thing that's calling you, I, I wouldn't say dive in. I wouldn't say dive in, but I would say start. I would say start and make it start as if you were going to dive in at some point, right? That's, that's, that would be sort of my closing message because it's, it's changed my life for the better. And I, I hope that others are brave enough to do the same. Yeah, same. I agree wholeheartedly. Great. Thank you. And how, what's the best place to find you? Tell us a little bit more about your business and how to get involved. Sure, sure. So a couple things going on at the moment. <laughs> uh, so the first is ice water yoga. If, you, if you're interested in that, uh, well, all, everything we described before, icewateryoga.com is where you'll find everything. There's a, a podcast associated with um, Ice Water Yoga called The Clutch Podcast, where I interview people who are sort of in this world of sports, athleticism, physical training, physical therapy, yoga, wellness. Like it's really that kind of focus, but really the idea is helping people be more, um, having tools to be more poised in challenging situations. That's really the, the thrust of, of the show. And my new project, if you're interested in being an alpha tester and um, being in the early days, the earliest, earliest days of this project, you can go to physio.co. So F-I-Z-I-O dot C-O. And I'll include all those links in the, in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. I know. Yeah. Epic. Epic conversation. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I thought that interview was really fun and packed with a lot of valuable information. I hope you did also. Before I sign off, I want to read an email that I got from a listener that was just such a sweet email. This is from Sashi Eggers. She wrote, Thank you so much for your authentic, informative, thought-provoking, and empowering podcast. I have just finished binge listening to all of the episodes. It has taken me a few months, and I usually listen to a couple per day. I finished teacher training a year ago and have flapped around with not much direction or plans, but all the topics covered have increased my knowledge, drive, and passion for teaching yoga, so thank you. The hard and consistent work you put into the website, Facebook group, and the podcast is a real service to the yoga community, and I am so grateful to have found it and found you. Sending you love all the way from, I can't pronounce this, Meth Heaven, New Zealand. All right, somebody from New Zealand needs to teach me how to pronounce that. But Sashi, thank you so much. Your message really made my day. Also, a reminder to get on the wait list for my small group coaching programs that are opening in the fall of 2019. I don't have all the details ironed out yet, but if you go to teachingyoga.net slash mastermind, you can put your email on the list to get all the details as soon as they're available. Basically, it's going to be small groups of yoga teachers who either have a very similar focus or have been teaching around the same amount of time. And there will be individual time in the hot seat where everybody else gets to listen to me giving feedback. So that's kind of like an on-air coaching call for the participants, except they get to give some feedback too, and it's more interactive. We'll do visioning. We'll do goal setting. We might even do the three-part process that Joe and I came up with today. And ultimately, each member of the group is going to be accountable to the rest of the group. So I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to get to work with people for a more affordable price and to get to facilitate some deeper connections among yoga teachers. Again, the URL so that you can sign up for the waitlist is teachingyoga.net slash mastermind. That's it for this week. I am about to run out the door to teach my class on a beautiful April evening. And I really hope that you remember this week to make time for your personal practice and to make it whatever you need right now, not what it's supposed to be, not what somebody else told you it's supposed to be, but what you need. Mm -hmm.